0: Hey everyone, this is Mike Flanagan, and on this episode of the Inside Bowling Show, we are happy to welcome PBA Hall of Famer and Color Analyst Marshall Holman. On today's show, we talk about the upcoming PBA League with Marshall, as well as talk about his amazing career. Matt and I got to know Marshall a little bit better, and some of the stories he told we will never forget. This show, if you found it by now, is broadcast live on Facebook and YouTube, and you should head over to those accounts by searching Inside Bowling to watch the program and check our schedule for future events. If you're enjoying the show, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you really like what we're doing here with the show, you can support the show by heading over to InsideBowling.com, checking out our merch, and you can save 15% off with coupon code IBSHOW. As always, elements from today's show were intended for both video and audio, and we apologize if at some point in the show you can't follow along. This is a great reminder that all of our shows can be watched over on our YouTube channel as they're all archived. So here it is, our episode number 16 with the Hall of Famer, Marshall Holman. buddy man I got my haircut dude I got my haircut on Friday man yeah
1: it's uh, I don't I didn't I, you came on the screen we had a phone call and your hair was that short and I was like what do you what did you do to your head and it just takes a while for me to remember what you look like without your hair being like extremely long.
0: And if you're listening to this in the future and say, what's the big deal about getting a haircut? We're right in the middle of COVID-19 and my haircutting place is the only one in the whole like Ogden area. My great clips at the bottom of the hill is the only one that opened up and uh, I got my haircut and I had to go in. It was the craziest experience ever, Matt. I, I had to have on. I took when I go out and I weed whack or when you mm-hmm. sand things, when you sand paint or whatever, or when you're standing, getting ready to paint, standing down the wood. I have one of these like ridiculously looking masks like that, like you would see out of a scary horror film. And that's what I wore while I was sitting there getting my hair cut, but man, it feels good. I went out and got some sun yesterday. I pulled my quad playing soccer on a field with a bunch of people, <laughs> a third of my age, but I had a great weekend, man. It was, it was a really unbelievable weekend. And I'm so jazzed for today's show because we have so much, we have to talk about, you know, Friday we had that, that kind of emotional intro for me, about what's going on with our business. And then we had this awesome show with Shannon and Brian O'Keefe. And then I went to the other broadcast. You finished it up. I listened to the end of it. You did a great job. And now it's Monday, man. And I feel so refreshed.
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. When you uh, do something daily, it really does take a lot out of you. And uh, all the planning, the prep work, the post-show work of getting everything archived and uploaded for our podcast, which you can now listen to on uh, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Spotify, Break, or pretty much any podcast app. Um, so if you're listening on there, thanks for tuning in. If you haven't listened on there, go give, go give us a shout. And um, yeah, it's 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 really exhausting, honestly, to do this day in, day out. So to have the weekend, I come in fully refreshed on Mondays. And uh, I think that's important for today, considering that we have possibly our greatest guest of the show yet.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, yesterday getting set up with Marshall was awesome. We'll bring him on here in just a few minutes. But I do have a few things. That I need to get to here today. Some new things for the program as we evolve. Uh, today is episode number 16. And as you mentioned, we are available now over the weekend. Breaking news we got approved for iTunes, which was the last one we needed for our podcast platform. So, welcome to iTunes Inside Bowling Show. And we've got about, I think, eight or nine of our uh, past episodes over there archived. I'm hoping to get to the rest of them tonight. It's one of my last things I'm going to do today. And then we'll be uploading these daily so you can listen to the audio form if you can't watch the show. So really excited about that. Uh, you know, one other thing that I've been struggling with is there's been a lot of birthdays that have happened and we don't really get the birthdays. But today, I'm not saying it's going to be a normal thing that we're going to do. But today, yesterday was Dave Lamont's birthday, and he was our first guest ever on the show. So happy birthday to Dave Lamont. I also just saw this come across my news feed this morning. I'm a football guy. We like to talk about other sports. Uh, I'm sorry to report the passing of Don Shula, one of the greatest coaches of all time, died at the age of 90 today. So uh, shout out to Don Shula, all the Miami Dolphin fans, and to his family. Sorry to see the passing of Don Shula. Um, I talked about my haircut. Uh, one of the other things is, is is we we recently, with our man Gray from The Ringing 10, we are now releasing a best of uh, of our show from the week, if there is such a thing. The best of our show. And we released that late last night as the edit got done kind of late. And uh, we're using clickbaity-type titles on these. And it, uh, it starts out with, Is DJ Archer a Stalker? So if you missed the show last week or you can't listen all the time, we are putting out a Supercuts episode. On our YouTube channel, on Inside Bowling, make sure you check that out. It's pretty funny. I watched it back and actually laughed at some of these things that I forgot about that happened on the show. Uh, also, uh, we've had an outpouring of people sending us messages, uh, either critiquing the show, but a lot of positive energy coming our way. And one of the things that happened is we work with BowlerX.com. They're one of our one of our clients that we work with with their marketing. And Lee and Krista Sant from BowlerX said, "Hey, I want to get involved in the program." So we've got a new segment that we're going to have every single day, and this is the time of the day that we're going to get to it. And it's a complete rip off of the Dan Patrick Show, but I think it's an important way to get everybody involved in the program. So what we're going to do is Matt is going to be my Danette, so to speak, and he is going to give me a couple of different options for a poll question on each and every show. And today Matt's got a couple of options for me today. So Matt the Bowler X poll question every day on the show. We'll talk about what we're going to put out. It'll be available on Twitter. And then uh, we'll get the updates of the poll question on the next show. So what do you have for me on our first edition of the Bowler X poll question?
1: So, Mike, I'm going to give you two options here, two choices of questions. All right. The first one is, when do you think we will return to bowling and bowl our first game on the lanes again? And the choices are – uh, excuse me, May, June, July, or August or later. So we got four choices, right? Okay. okay and, um, yep, the, the next one is what age group do you think the next PBA Tour champion will fall in? So when we all return back to bowling and the PBA starts back up, what age bracket do you think whoever wins that event will fall in? Okay. And it's going to be like, it's going to be 20 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, or 50 and over.
0: I like both both ones, but just because uh, I think it's top of mind, let's go ahead and put that poll question out there on Twitter right now. Let's let's pick the one. When will we when will we get back to bowling? Let's let's go with that one. So Matt's gonna put that to Twitter right now. And while he does that, I did talk about last week about these boxes that I got in at my house. Uh, I picked up a lot, and and what a lot is is when you purchase a bunch of stuff from one person and you get a little bit of a better deal on it. But I want to show some of the things that I got right here from pba star bowler bowled 300 on television bob benoit i picked up this lot of stuff from bob benoit and i couldn't i couldn't help myself over the weekend and i started opening this stuff i was going to open it on the air but i want to show you what i got so and i'm sure our guest when, when he comes on will want to talk this is the old critical mass polo shirt right here do you remember this this one right here this is uh it's got bob benoit's name on the back uh, awesome uh, he, he sent me all these shirts. I got 45 of them. Uh, (laughs) This is a bull. This is a whip shirt. And he was on AMF staff right here. No name on the back. And a lot of these are going to go up on our eBay store. If you want to, if you want to get in touch with us and, and get some of these we've got, he was on AMF staff. This is an ultra ultra C shirt right here. No name on the back. King Louie. Uh, I've got a lot of monksing wear, a lot of monksing wear here, which was big on the tour. I've got a Synergy, Track Synergy shirt right here, Muncing Bob, no name on the back. He's got the old PBA logo on the sleeve right here. Uh, So I've got 45 of these shirts. I want to show that. Here's another Track shirt right here, Synergy. And I've also got this one here. Still got the tag on it. Bob never wore this. um, But it's a code red critical mass shirt. Bob Benoit on the back. And he never wore it. So he had it embroidered and never wore it. Still got the tag. And then i got some bowling balls i got some bowling balls i posted this on my personal facebook page but i got two code reds my favorite ball of all time i'm bringing it up here here's the box right here and then i've got uh show you the ball pull it out don't want to waste too much time here don't want to waste too much time but i got six balls from the guy and uh here it is original code red in the box awesome pin placement on this thing too look at how far the pin is out you can do some great things with this drill, but I'm not going to drill it, of course. And I got a bunch of other balls that I'll show you at the end of the show. But uh, I got all this stuff. I'm going to put a lot of this on our eBay store, Inside Bowling eBay. But uh, I want to thank Bob Anoit for, for hooking me up and getting my greatest favorite bowling ball of all time. I have two of them now, undrilled, Matt. What do you think?
1: Uh, I think that uh, you were, you, as soon as you ordered these things, you were like, hey, Matt, guess what? I was like, what? He's like, like, I just, I just got it all, man. I hit the jackpot. It's like, what do you mean you hit the jackpot? He's like, I just got 45 Bob Benoit PBA shirts. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that, you know, I, I, no, no disrespect here. I just didn't know that Bob Benoit shirts were, were that hot of a commodity out here on the market. And then you're like, no, well, okay, that was great. But here's here's why I really am so excited. And you showed me the, the bowling balls that you picked up. And, uh, you know, it must be cool. It must be cool for you. I'm not like a bowling ball junkie like that where I have, I have, you know favorite bowling balls but i'm not going to go out there and uh and and buy them you know but but for you that's that's really cool i'm sure it brings back a lot of really cool memories and i'm sure that temptation to drill it is there but i know you and i know you're not going to drill it and i know you're probably also not going to ever sell those those are going to be yours forever so um, yeah the
0: the code code reds at this point i'm planning on keeping both and i'm probably going to keep some of these track shirts but i am going to i'm going to liquidate a lot of stuff i got a Got a bunch of other stuff. I got a 1979 white dot brand new in the box as well, which I might bring that out when we bring in our guest. which we're 10 minutes into the program, had a lot to cover. And I think it's important to, to bring in our guests now, before you bring them up, I want to just say a couple things about our guest today. First of all, when you look back at the history of bowling, there are some polarizing players of all time. This guy we're having on the program today was polarizing. Polarizing because of the, the way that he threw the bowling ball uh, during the time and the era that he was a bowler. Polarizing because he wasn't um, a square, so to speak. This guy, he had a lot of emotion. And he had haters, and he had people that loved him. But I can tell you this. When he stepped off the lanes with the people I spoke to prepping for this show and from what I've observed over the years with the many years of working in bowling, everybody loves this guy off the lanes. And the job that he's done – as a color analyst as well over the years he often gets overshadowed by Peterson and Burton but he did a hell of a job when he's done it and still does do it sometimes as well super humble dude and just enjoys life he's retired now he loves golf he loves wine but he's known for his bowling and I've got a couple stats here in my hand he won 22 titles on the PBA tour including four majors he won in 1996 in Detroit, which was the one that I remember the most, being a four-year-old person. Uh, and he hadn't won since 1988, and that was a memorable moment. And we'll talk about it on today's show. Uh, he won uh, his, or he started bowling on tour in 1971, took a hiatus, came back to the tour in 1975, and uh, won the Fresno Open. So uh, this guy here, he is just an unbelievable person, and we're blessed to have him on the show today. And um, glad to have him. And he's also a PBA league owner. So we're, we're looking, Our manager, we're looking forward to talking to him about that. So let's bring in today's guest, Marshall Holman, PBA Hall of Famer. There he is, Marshall. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, nice to
2: see you, Mike, Matt. Good to see you. I want to, I got to correct something. Uh, I was a sophomore, or excuse me, a junior in high school in 1971. I believe I started the tour, in fact, I know I started the tour in the summer of 1974. And, oh. uh, So just for, I I, yeah. So anyway, but uh, it's good to be here and uh, I enjoy your show and nice to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, Matt's been doing a lot of research. He's been digging up a lot of stuff here. So maybe some of the stuff that we found...
1: Yeah, no. I found something about you going out and earning like five hundred dollars and seventy one, um, and then obviously it wasn't. So I don't know if you were out on tour then. Uh, assuming as a sophomore in high school, you
2: probably. I thought were. you know I thought that was I bowled in the Portland Open as an amateur. Gosh, I think it was might have been seventy one. I thought it was I thought it was seventy two or three, but um, I I made the cut, and I was. I was absolutely amazed. I mean, it was just, it was the greatest, it was the greatest moment of my life up to that point. And uh, I remember I had a, I had a Harry Smith tightline and a Don Carter commemorative, one rubber ball, one plastic ball with absolutely zero grip on either. And when I was a young man, I had a pretty good hand and I could, I could rev it up pretty damn good. And I'm watching these pros out hook me and I'm thinking, these are bowling gods. I just love it. I don't, I I'm watching it. I don't know how they're doing it, but boy, look at that. Look at Don McCune hooked the ball. looks like he's got such a soft hand, but it's a, I don't know how he's doing it. Well, they were all soaking bowling balls. That's how they were doing it. And they were out hooking me. I made the top 24. I, uh, I finished in a solid 24th place and it was the, it was so much fun. I had the time of my life.
0: Marshall, we were uh, talking yesterday as we were getting this thing set up, and it's a miracle that you're even here today after what we went through. (laughs) Uh, We were talking, and and you said that you threw the same bowling ball for like three years on tour. 1977,
2: 78, 79. It was a Bonanza uh, yellow dot, 5U66953. I wrote that number down so many times because for three years. I I had it resurfaced a couple of times. You know, what a – you, you can't even – there's just no way you could ever do that in today's game. You can't use the same ball maybe two weeks in a row, and you have to have such a large arsenal. You know, I, I maintain that, uh, you know, the and we all know the game has changed so much over the years, but one of the privileges that I had was to have a ball that not only reacted well, but I always had difficulty with, you know, when you drill it out, you work the thumb hole and the fingers, I can never get the feel quite right. This ball felt good. So in my day, I would opt for a ball that felt good over a ball that might even have a better track, you know, toward the pocket with the roll because the feel was so important to me. And, you know, we we made these rudimentary balls work back in the day. Uh, Today's bowlers have to be mad scientists and not only throw it, throw it great, but if you don't have the right ball in your hand. You're a dead man. Back in my day, you could make the wrong ball work.
0: Yeah. Uh, And, and that's just unbelievable to think about because it's all about bowling balls. Now today, I posted these two code red bowling balls yesterday on my Facebook page and I got more comments, more shares, more things than almost anything. I could say that, you know, I'm having a baby or something and nobody would care nearly as much. bowling balls. So it's just amazing to see how the game has changed and how people have just gone nuts over these bowling balls and really shows that the manufacturers are so important in bowling today.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, as, as I said, it's uh, and it's been that way for a number of years now where if you don't have the right ball in your hand, it'd be like it'd be like being on a golf course and, and, and you've got a you've got a 60 yard shot and you got to hit a high soft shot and you're trying to use your driver. All right. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Marshall, we want to get into some topics here, um, and we want to lead with the most current topic that there is. You've been you've been given a little bit of uh, notoriety here recently because you are the team manager of a new expansion PBA League team, the Milwaukee Brew City Ballers. Is that the right name? Brew City,
2: yeah, the Brew City Ballers. Yep, yeah,
0: okay. that's it. So, so how did you come about being a, a manager for this, and how excited are you going into the draft?
2: Well, Tom Clark, commissioner of the PBA, he asked me last year if I was interested in, in maybe being a manager of one of the teams. And it's, you know, it's, it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounded fun when he, when he asked. And uh, it, there's a lot more to it than, than I really thought there would be when I, when he first asked me. But, it, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to, to have had a you know nice career and done a lot of things in bowling. Uh, and this, this is an This is an avenue to keep me tied into the game. And, um, I said, I said, yes, you know, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The, uh, you know, t- tomorrow we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a coin flip between myself and i little Monticelli, the, the, uh, the manager of the Vegas team to see who gets the first pick in the draft. And, uh, it's uh, I still don't know. I don't know which way I'm going to go. There's a, there's so many great choices out there. But, uh you know, I'm, we'll start by seeing who gets to pick first tomorrow. Tails never fails, Marshall. Tails never
1: fails. Just remember that, buddy.
2: Just when well, I want you to remember it, because you could be wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've
2: got about let me do the math about a 50 50 chance. <laughs> nice. Nice. There, Marshall. I like it.
0: Yeah. So, so Marshall, I was invited a couple of weeks ago to be on the Beef and Barnsey show and they did a mock draft 2.0 and I got to draft your team. And um, mm. I would like for Matt to play the clip right now of how I drafted your team and we'll get your feedback. My pick... Um... A big, big surprise here is uh, Ryan Seminelli. Ryan Simonelli is my first pick. We're going with Patrick Hanrahan with our second pick. Patty Hanrahan right here. We are selecting Matt McNeil with our third pick.
1: I, uh, Matt Sanders will be
2: the uh, fourth pick on the walking uh, uh, something, something team.
0: We are going to take Michael Martel with our final pick. Okay, Marshall. So the trend there is I took Seminelli, I took Packy Hanrahan, then I took Matt McNeil, then I took Matt Sanders, and I took Michael Martel. So as you can tell, I took all left-handers for the Milwaukee team. Your thoughts about selecting all left-handers on your team?
2: Well, that would take a very large set of cojones. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's bang or bust. If you take all lefties uh, – I don't know. I don't, I, I, it's intriguing. Um, I like it because it's thinking outside the box. Um, I liked it better. If you just told me secretly and I could have done it, <laughs> 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 they're going to go, that's the Flanagan team. That's a Flanagan team. But um, I don't know. Um, I, I like. the, I like the buzz that it would create. Um, uh, but, uh, gosh, there, there are lots, there's lots of great picks out there, you know, Amleto and I are, are, are at a disadvantage. We're, we're, we're going to be drafting, uh, our first three, three players first because all the other teams have three players they protected and they protected great players. So, you know, I don't have access to, to some of the best players on tour because they're gone. Uh, so, uh. You know, we'll see. Uh, it it's a uh, certainly much food for thought for me, but um, I don't know. It's a, you know, basically, what you have done is you've I've, you've taken a confusing situation and then multiplied it to make it more confusing.
0: So, thanks a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. So, so here's, <laughs> here's the thought process behind it. Um, first of all, I found it very interesting going into this draft. Because I was you. I was you a couple weeks ago. And I'm with a much guy. with much longer hair. Well, barely right now. Even but now. Last couple. I guess so. You're right. <laughs> so right. so last week when or two weeks ago when, when we were doing this, right? I get this invitation from, from uh Barnes and, and Stu. And then they say you're gonna be drafting alongside John Burkett and uh, Chad Murphy and also Jeff Goodger and i knew that you know a lot of people were going to be watching this so i had to really think about it just like you're doing right now i went through this and and i wanted to try to figure out a way that i could win and i just thought and i also wanted i wanted to get a lot of publicity for my new franchise right because it's also important about the ratings too right how awesome would it be to be the lead story coming into the broadcast no matter if you're bowling against the defending champions or the home team or or against belmo or whoever it is and, and you're the lead with five lefties. And I just thought to myself, you're absolutely right with what you said, Marshall, is you're at a huge disadvantage by not having – some teams have three Hall of Famers on the team or have bowled multiple years together. And I thought, what would be the best thing to do? I also considered Sean Rash with the first pick and then pick four lefties to go with him. But I'm not so sure that if Rash was sitting next to me, he would have agreed with that strategy. And you got to have <laughs> your main guy – wanting to be on board with what the strategy is. So, you know, you've got some options here. I'm going to give you a couple other little ideas just for you to, to think about. Um, you know, there, there is this group called the House, and we're very close to the House. It's the Brad and Kyle clan. And there are enough people in the draft that you could pick all members of the House, and you could have them bowl together. They're going to all room together. They're going to have great chemistry. A lot of them are younger and just came off the collegiate ranks and work really well together. And I think that could be a good strategy. And then you've also got this strategy. If you take Rash first, you could basically draft an entire Wichita State alum team as well and go after it with that angle. So there's a few different options there for you, bud.
2: Yeah, that's, it, you're right. There's a, there are options. And uh, I'm glad the draft is not happening tomorrow. I believe, is it on the 17th or the
0: yeah, 15th? Yeah, I, I have it on my calendar for, for the 17th Current 17th.
2: So I'm going to have to have... A fairly good idea of what I want to do prior to the seventeenth, and then you know, Amleto has Amleto has a lot to do with who I pick because he very well may pick somebody that I want, and so that'll that'll change things as well. But uh, uh boy, it's it it's it's very very intriguing, and uh, and I I like I like things I like things that are different, so. We'll, we'll see. Yeah,
0: we'll see. And you mentioned that you would have liked of me to say this off the air so it wouldn't be Flanagan's idea. And I understand that po- point of it as well. But more so, if it doesn't work, now you have an excuse <laughs> to deflect the attention away from yourself. Hey,
2: it's like, it's like being a politician or a meteorologist. The two greatest jobs in the world because you don't have to be accountable for shit. That's right, You're right. <laughs> can, you, can you say can I say that word is that okay
0: this is this is an un- unfiltered program Marshall you beautiful, beautiful beautiful I be like I,
2: I use I use that a lot about being unaccountable it's politicians and meteorologists anyway uh, yeah I could I could I could blame you and uh, but we'll we'll see it's going to be fun.
0: Let's bring Matt back in. Matt has prepared and has done a lot of deep diving over the weekend to look back on on your career and just the things that have happened in your life. And from what I understand, Matt, you two have a lot in common.
1: Well, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not sure about a lot in common, but I was doing some 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 research on you, Marshall. And. I think first off, it's an honor to have you on this show, especially, I mean, we've got like three viewers and for you to be willing to come on and spike us up to like 12 is huge. And, um, and uh, it's it's really cool. So I've always obviously had respect for you as a bowler and just as a person and to do more research about you and to learn more about you has been really cool and about your family. Um, And, you know, to learn that, to to learn that you were raised Jewish, I, I was also raised Jewish. So um, just a really cool connection that we have there, and also finding out that you know Mark Roth also was Jewish, and just like just just learning more about the game and learning more about yourself and about your family. And um, I want to pull up this this article I found about you and see if you remember this. This is an article from Sports Illustrated. It was titled "Too Bold to Cut the Mustard." Do you remember this? I do. And I, th- I found a couple of really interesting things in here. Um, I want to read. I, f- I found some of it ridiculous, found some of it interesting. Um, and I, I want to I read. In the beginning, they, they hit you really hard. Um, and, you know, they say, uh, they say, I, I'm not perfect, Marshall Holman says, but I'm as close as anybody can get. Right you are, Marshall Holman. You are a perfect booer, a perfect twerk, a perfect pest, a perfect pain in the you know what. Yes, Marshall, you are the perfect hot dog. And I thought to myself, I've, ne- I've been insulted quite a few times. I've never been called the perfect you, – you are the perfect hot dog. I don't know what kind of an insult that really is. Um, but you had, you had some haters back in the day, Marshall. Oh, yeah. uh, you, d- you did. And also in this article, you talk about people – that sent you threats, you know, people that sent you notes and they they knocked you down because you were Jewish and people wish that told you that they wish you'd get cancer and like extreme, extreme, uh, extremely negative thoughts and statements like that. How did you deal with all that being the pioneer kind of, of showing your emotions within the game of bowling?
2: Well, with within the few, first few years, you know, I started on started the tour in 74. I'd say between 74 and seventy-eight or nine, you know, uh, to to use a quote from Gone with the Wind, frankly, Scarlett, I didn't give a damn. I didn't. I didn't care. I i i wasn't uh, i wasn't looking to necessarily make any friends early in my career. I was just trying to establish myself and do the best bowling I could. As I got older, you know, into my later twenties and early thirties, then I started embracing the fact that people were were liking me. So early in the early in my career. Uh, those, those comments, they, they went one ear and out the other. Uh, they're certainly, they're mean. Um, but can, can you imagine if, if a young Marshall Holman were to come out of the tour today in the, in this 24 seven world of instant information and the internet with all of social media, Oh my God, it would have been hundreds of times worse. So um in that respect I, I came out I came out in a good in a good time on tour where only a select people could could bash me. And and like I said, throughout the first few years of my career, I it didn't really bother me. I didn't really care. Yeah.
1: And that's and I mean, and I think that people often coin Pete Weber as the bad boy of bowling, right? They just they've got this image around Pete. And quite frankly, to me, you really paved the way for people like Pete. And then if you talk about <laughs> modern day, today on tour, somebody, a good, a good friend of mine, but somebody certainly who can be a hothead on the, on the lanes is Anthony Simonson. And, and I think a similarity that you, know, that you have, at least with Simo, because I know Simo very well, is that, you know, on the lanes, very intense very um, eccentric, very emotional. But then off the a gentleman, someone who's very kind to others, Anthony would give his shirt off his back for anybody else, even if he didn't know them. Um, and so I think it's important. And it made me, uh, again, it made me gain even more respect for you, knowing that you, know, you were really the pioneer when it came to, uh, I guess you could say, blowing a gas, being emotional, you know, taking, taking your anger out, whatever it was. And my question that I have in regards to this as well is, you had the support of some of the greatest bowlers of all time on the tour when you were acting that way. Carmen Salvino, Earl Anthony, Mark Roth were all guys that were like, let Marshall be Marshall. Just let him do his thing. This is, this is what we need for the sport. And there's no problem with Marshall acting that way. Did their support encourage you to continue to act the same way? Or
2: were you just going to do it regardless? Oh, I, I, I don't think it really had a lot to do with how I was acting. You know, uh, I, the one thing about being in, in today's bowling as opposed to back in my my time is it it was, uh, was a little more of a dictatorship back then. And and if you did get out of line, they would suspend you. And in uh, you know, in 1980, if you go to if you go to YouTube and you and you type in Marshall Holman, the first thing you're gonna see is is the foul line. You really don't you really don't get a good look at me actually kicking it. But I kicked the fowlite in Las Vegas. It dislodged. It wasn't screwed in very, very tight, and um, and uh, you know then we uh, Joe antonora decided that I needed a a ten week vacation and a twenty five hundred dollar fine. And it was all very calculated. Um, the the suspension would bring me out of my me back on tour um, for the great and the greatest, which coincidentally not. Paid a minimum of twenty five hundred dollars, so so I I went ahead and went and you know instead of fighting it and maybe costing myself the great and greatest, I went ahead and we'll see me go up here and I thought I, I thought I threw this ball pretty good, but it looked good off your hand, but it just yeah I left yeah. I left the bucket and it was like, damn I mean I just and there and there it is and <laughs> um, and I will tell you quite frankly that I had. Many, 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 many good years after that incident. But I was not the same passionate bowler ever again. And Joe Antonora, may you rest in peace. That was a pretty, that was a pretty tough blow for the rest of my career. Because I, I bowled for a living because I was still good at it. And I was making a living at it, but I never had the heart for it that, um, that I had prior to that. And I don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever articulated that before, but um, that's a fact.
0: You know, I don't like, I really don't like to hear this Marshall. Um, I didn't know you were going to hit us with this one, um, ah, man. So this, this instance made you change your demeanor as, as a makeup as, as a professional bowler in that fire.
2: It didn't, I don't know that it changed. It didn't really change the way I worked. I still worked. With with intensity, and I still worked with sometimes a little too much anger, but but the the core love of what I was doing was diminished because of sitting out for ten weeks, being fined twenty five hundred dollars. It basically took about a third of my yearly income out of my pocket, and, and I can't remember. Was it what year was it? 80, 81?
1: 79,
2: Mm -hmm. whatever it was. Yeah. It was, it was like, it was like taking about $35,000 out of my earnings, which was a lot of money back then. And, uh, but you know, I'm not the only person, I'm not the only person that was, that was, uh, that was suspended. Um, I think Bo Burton got, got, uh, got a little vacation for a while. And, and uh, Pete Weber, you know, back in the day, he uh, he was also sent home packing for 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 other reasons. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it was a long it was a long time ago, and I'm and even though there's still there's still still a little scar tissue, uh, it's not something that that I think about. And um, you know, I've, I'm I'm blessed to be doing pretty well here in southern Oregon.
0: Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, that is that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought this up on the program today, man. I appreciate you sharing that very much. Here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a question about that that particular show as well. Sure. Um, you, you saw me open this show with all these relics and artifacts that I have from Topinoid's personal collection. Do you have any of those old Lamode shirts or any of those old old shirts that you wore back in the day? You know, I don't.
2: I don't know. Uh, I have. I have very 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 few shirts left because over the years i've had numerous requests for people from people to sign a shirt for them and so i have so i don't have i don't have maybe just a couple of shirts left and they're they the only reason i have them left because i think they were dark and the and the, the sharpie wouldn't show up on them or whatever but uh, no most of that most of that stuff is gone as far as little bowling balls are concerned uh i wish i still had the white dot from the 76 tournament of champions it's gone i do have uh, both of the uh, red u dots that i that i used in the first two uh, bowling shootouts they're at they're at lava lanes here in here in medford oregon and um uh, you know the, the ownership at lava lanes did a did a great thing a number of years ago when they asked me if i would allow them to have some of my memorabilia and which is it, it belongs in a bowling center, you know. I have very little of my of my bowling related things in 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 my house. I've got a I've got uh, well I've got a U.S. Open trophy to the right of me, and I've got you know a couple of others, but for the most part, everything's at Lava Lanes.
0: So you have two U.S. Open trophies, right? You still own them both? I do. One's at Lava Lanes, and one is right
2: there oh,
0: so yeah. with, I'll, I'll trade you 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 know I know how much you love bowling i <laughs> I' got, got a 1979 white dot right here Brand pretty new cool. in the box from, from part of my benoit collection uh, uh-huh. how about we swap this here's the deal we'll swap this one right here. Plus, plus that strategy I gave you to win the PBA league. <laughs> and I'll give you a C note for that U.S. Open trophy. How about that? I'll put it on the shelf right behind me. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that was an easy call. <laughs> and you're showing us around your place there. I also see behind you, you know, we partner with Sam Villarreal. He's yeah. a partner of ours at Inside Bowling. And I'm seeing this picture here, if you're watching online, uh, we're seeing a picture of you with a hole in one on the golf course. Was that done by Sam?
2: It was. It was uh, last year. I think it's got it's got a date on it. Let's see what's the date of that. It's uh, uh, June, July 10th. Was July 10th of 2018? So it was two years ago. And um, I was actually I was on the golf course, and Sam was Sam was flying in that day for the. Um, for the member guests at my at my club and um so I make a hole in one it's a 155 yard shot I hit a eight iron in or whatever and and uh, so I message Sam Sam's in in Chicago he's got a layover in Chicago and he goes what color shirt are you wearing and it's like who the hell cares I said, no what color shirt should... okay I was wearing whatever color shirt and uh, he did that between that phone call and getting to getting to my house that evening.
0: <laughs> he, he can work quick he can work he, he can even
2: even he he's uh, he's you know caricatures are great because they they accentuate different parts of, of of your anatomy and he he always takes the split between my two front teeth and makes them a little larger but the other thing he does, he always makes me a lot stronger than I am. So, so you know, you, you get the good with the bad.
0: Yeah, he, just, he did one for me as well. And he also partners with uh, The House with Brad and Kyle. We sell their merch on our website. And he did this really cool T-shirt. We sold a bunch of them with The House. And speaking of which, Kyle Sherman uh, a little bit ago just chimed in. And he said that his first real experience with Marshall was when you were coaching the USA team at the World Series. And Kyle got three off the right, his first shot on TV. First impression. Do you remember that?
2: I do. I do. I, I maybe, you know, nerves or, or whatever, but, uh, you know, a nice young man. It certainly has a strong game. And um, he's, he's picked things, picks things up quite a bit from, from that, from that initial bad shot.
0: Matt, what else you got for Marshall today?
1: Um, I just I want to talk about one more thing, not necessarily relating to that article, but relating to your your family, mostly mostly your dad. Your dad became known as um, Holman the Pullman back um, back in the in the fifties, I believe it was before he,
2: be, before I was born.
1: Yeah, and he, um, he he referred to at least in this article as uh, America's leading underachiever. Was that something that he he called you often? And what was like? What was the the messaging behind that? What kind of a role did he have in your bowling? I guess throughout your career
2: and growing well, up. Well, well, um, throughout my career, he was a great supporter. When I was a, a younger man in school and would spend more time bowling than working on my schoolwork, he thought I was wasting my time, and so that's probably where that came from. Mm-hmm. He, he did a radio show in 1953 on top of flagpole in San Francisco. And they, I don't know if you're old enough to, you maybe have to Google what a bosun's chair is, but you basically sit in this like this leather chair, and then they reel you up to the, to the platform on the flagpole. And um, he did that. He did that for, for a number of months. And then one day it was especially windy. And he told his boss that, uh, well, I can't, I can't go up there. It's, it's dangerous and uh and his boss very nice man once again nothing personal Tenora, but i think his boss was a little bit like you and uh, since he didn't go up that day they just fired him so wow. so what a you know very and very nice very nice tolerant person not but uh, <laughs> but my so once so when i was in school my father was concerned that i was that i was wasting my time and you know 999,000 times out of a million you probably been right i was very lucky that i got on tour and did well he became a very big supporter of mine and and he was very proud and, and loved the fact that i that i was a successful professional bowler and then with him being involved in media all the years of his of his uh, working life he was thrilled that his son was working for ESPN and then for CBS and doing these national live broadcasts. And I have the only broadcast background I have is a father who was a broadcaster. And he, you know, he worked his entire life to do okay, you know, from a notoriety standpoint. And here's son, who by virtue of being able to throw a bowling ball, gets to be on national television. And he would watch every telecast, and he'd have a pad and a pencil, and he would critique everything that I did. And he did it because he wanted to help me to get better. He didn't do it because he was trying to to demean my performance. He just wanted me to be the best that I could be. And, uh, and he passed away in uh, July 27th of 2001, just a, I think a month or two before Earl tragically passed away. And um, he was he was a very interesting guy. He was he was very polarizing here. In Southern Oregon, in the media, you either you either really liked Phil Holman or you didn't like Phil Holman. He also did a show called Phil's Films, where he he had really bad movies, B movies, and he was the host. And he would do live commercials for for his for his uh, sponsors, and he would kind of he would kind of diss his sponsors in a in a kind of a quirky, fun shtick way. But um, definitely, uh, he was. He was much more of a character than I am.
0: That's a really cool man. And and is, do you think that that's what shaped you as a person with your with your uh, I just I, des- I described you as polarizing in the open? Yeah. Yeah, I
2: think so. I, th- I think, uh, you know, I got I a lot of that from my father and uh, and I got a lot of competitiveness from my from my mother as well. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate. My mom's 88. and She's still doing pretty well. And uh, she lives about two and a half hours north of me. I'm um, hoping to to get up to see her, even with even with COVID-19 going on. I'm going to take my SUV and put a couple chairs in the back and drive up to Eugene. And uh, if it's a nice day, you know we can sit on the parking lot and you know be six feet apart and and hang out together. So uh, yeah, but I certainly was shaped, and I think we're all shaped by you know our upbringing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And right now, speaking of Oregon, and that's, that's where you're at. Are, are you still in the Medford area then? Yep. I'm
2: still, talking? I am still in Medford basically, uh, except for eight years from 77 to 85. I lived about 10 miles from where I am now, but I've, most of my life I've lived in this Eastern part of, of Medford. So uh, yeah, it's only, uh, I'm, I am uh a mile and a half from the you know from the parking lot of my golf club. It's been my playground since I was in my early 20s. And I can thank bowling for the opportunity to have played as much golf as I've played. Because I played a lot of great courses when I was on tour. And and bowling enabled me to to make a living so that I could so I could afford to you know to be a member of, of the of the golf club.
0: Where did the nickname Meteor come from? The Medford Meteor.
2: Medford Meteor, I think Larry Lickstein is, I think he was responsible for that. He also was responsible for Holman the Bowman because Holman the Bowman became kind of a, you know, a, a, it was from Holman the Pullman to Holman the Bowman. And another interesting story that, that you may not know about, uh, my father, back when when I was very young, he was in the pizza business with, with another, another person back in, in San Francisco. And one of the guys that worked for my father was a very very young man by the name of Lenny Nicholson. Now Lenny Nichols went on went on to do you know the the lanes for the tour back back in my in my really really great days. Lenny did not like me to start with because I beat his friend Billy Hardwick in the in the uh, tournament of champions. And then Lenny found out that that my dad was who he was, and my dad and Lenny's dad were really really close friends back in the day. And Lenny and I, have had a, we've had a great have a great relationship for, for 40, 40 plus years. But uh, pretty interesting that that Len Nicholson worked for my father back in the day.
0: That is pretty cool, man. And currently right now, um, you're involved in a few different things. Also, just I want to make mm-hmm. sure you get this plug in there. You've, you've got a love for bowling. You've got a love for your community there. You've got a love for golf. But you also have have a love for, for wine. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're involved with, with the with the wine industry? Yeah, I've got a, a friend of mine that I that I played golf with uh,
2: was a winemaker um, at, a, at a at a pretty large uh, winery here in Southern Oregon. Also spent 20 plus years in Napa Valley at uh, at some very prestigious wineries. Uh, but then he went out, he went wanted to go out on his own and do his own thing. And he and he asked me to be a part of it on a number of occasions. And I kept thinking, well, what are, you, what are you crazy? I have nothing to add I don't know anything about wine. It's not like wine, but I don't really know much about it. And he, and so I finally succumbed to saying, sure, His guy's name is John, John Quinones, not John Quinones from ABC news. But if you Google John Quinones, he's the second John Quinones, he's the winemaker. But so John and I got into business with Diamondback wine. That's been his private label off and on since, Oh, since like year 2000. And, uh, he resurrected it back in 2012 with his first vintages, and uh, I've been aboard for about four years now. And uh, and I thought I knew something about wine until I got involved in it, and and I found out that I really was a neophyte. I've I've got a lot more knowledge now, but John makes great wine. It's it's uh, depending on your on your economic level, it's either uh, really expensive wine, moderately expensive wine, or I'm not buying that wine. It's not expensive enough. It's you know our wines are between twenty nine and and seventy five dollars per bottle, but it's uh, it's small batch, uh, handcrafted wines, and uh, so when I when I want good wine, I've got it. In fact, I've got a I got a case sitting about about a three feet away from me, uh, but uh, it's it's really exciting. And um, our website is uh, diamondback.wine. And, uh, you know, if anybody's interested, you know, this is something that not, not a lot of wineries can, uh, can offer, but uh, I'm, I'm here to be your official wine concierge. And right. You can private, you can private message me if you, if you want any of my wines, there are a couple of states, unfortunately, Utah, doggone it, Utah, you're a pain in the, pain in the wine, but you can't, we can't ship wine to Utah. Okay. It just It's just one of the – there's a few states that are tough, and Utah is one of them. But but most states are, are easy, and we ship wine all over the country, and uh, and uh, it's it's exciting.
0: Yeah, speaking of Utah, we have somebody checking in on the program, a friend of ours, Mike Jazz, now checking in. Old Jazz says, I love Marshall and his sense of humor. I also like that I was faster than him on the snow.
2: That's right. So Mike, Mike's got this stupid app on his phone that he told me about. It's called uh, Ski Tracks. And ski tracks, it, it keeps it, it shows you how fast you've gone, the elevation, how many runs, the time, all these fun little stats. Well, the problem with ski tracks is you, if you're competitive, and Mike and Marshall are competitive, you end up having a little contest with yourself. How much faster can I go? So, a couple of years ago, on a beautiful bluebird, perfect snow, everything was great. I went. I think I went 60.1 mile an hour on skis. And Mike is a a snowboarder. And he had told me earlier that he went 60 miles per hour. He went like 60.3 or four. So he has gone faster than me. I am out of that competition. Um, 40 is probably a little too fast for me. 60 was, was, that's suicidal. I mean, I'm just fortunate that I was able to stay on board and not fall. If you fall at that speed, you got to hurt yourself, but yeah, Mike's, Mike's a good friend. He's a he's a great coach and he was a heck of a bowler back in the day. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things I miss about not going to the USBC this year is seeing my buddy, Mike.
0: Yeah. And you know, jazz is great at coaching bowlers, but I don't know if I'd take any ski instruction from jazz now, just food for thought. Anybody, it's cause that, I, is, that sounds awful.
2: Well, he's, he's, I've, I've, you know, we've been talking about going out and 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 him snowboarding and me skiing together. We've been talking about it for years, and it's never it's never happened. I, I still hope it can happen at, at some point, but uh, yeah, he's good people.
0: Well, if you if you ever make it out here this way, he lives on the other side of the mountain to me, and I'd love to see if you ever make it out this way. It'd be awesome to to, to hang out with you guys and maybe do some skiing or something. Uh, we we've got about ten minutes left on the show, and we've prepped a lot of stuff here today, and we're only going to get to so much of it as always happens with our guests. But I think I think Matt has a clip queued up here, and this is the one that kind of sticks out to me. And, and you've seen this one many times. This was in '96 yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, I want to set this up for everybody. Uh, your last win before this one was was in 1988, according to PBA.com, and you were in Detroit. And you competed and had another tremendous week. And you were on the show. You can go and cue the clip here, Matt. Uh, You were wearing a a green, and you were throwing the red pulse, I believe, on this television. Yep. And this is the tenth frame here, I believe, right, Matt?
1: Yep. This the tenth frame needs the mark to win. I tried to throw it away.
2: Did you like the shot off your hands? Oh no, no, I didn't like it. And I was nervous as heck. I was very very nervous. I'm still nervous. Why well, I'm just uh you know needing needing to make this spare. I I was a pretty good spare shooter back in the day, so I was confident but still nervous and
0: and here's the moment. I love the
2: emotion there. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is I keep saying I'm back I'm back I'm back and I really wasn't back I was back in the booth the next week and I never was a factor again
0: <laughs> so going, going back to that moment when that when that happened what do you consider this the greatest accomplishment in your career was this the best moment
2: well I kind of I consider it almost something that was given to me as as a gift for all of the bad bowling and bad breaks i had on television you know i i don't know the exact number of telecasts i made but it's it's 120 or 30 shows i was a i was not a good television bowler um and part of that was my was my stubbornness my attitude and part of it was the way that the lanes reacted to to the lights of television back in the day it was you know the the crankers the and the power players we could we could make the telecast, but when we made the telecast, it seemed like they were, were always better for the people that threw it straighter. Uh once you got got to TV. So I had a I had a bad TV record. Some of it were some of them were bad breaks, some of them were bad shots, some of were bad decisions. But um, you know, I was fortunate. I only I only made the show twice at Riviera Lane's and I won both those shows. So that was lucky, but I led 21 tournaments. I only won seven of them. Um, I went from 1981 to late 1983 without a win, and I think there were 17 or 18, 20 telecasts in that time frame where I couldn't win a game. And and it begins to begins to play on your on your mind. Um, and and so you know you if you need to you, you need to compete in athletics. With with a focus, but a clean brain, and uh, if you, when, once you start bringing baggage in, it, it becomes difficult. So I I don't consider that tournament my best win. I consider it maybe maybe a a gift, maybe a little bit of payback. Um, what would my best win be? Uh, I, I you know I 1975 when I won in Fresno, I bowled Carmen Salvino, and he was my guy to watch when I was a kid. I love Carmen because he was a great bowler and a great showman. And so I bowled Carmen and he was just a few pins ahead of me. It was not a televised tournament. Um, and so whoever won the game would win the tournament. And, and I started out with the first nine strikes against Carmen Salvino and won the tournament. And then my second win in in Hawaii later that year, I beat Carmen Salvino again and I love Carmen Salvino, and you know, and, uh, you know <laughs> he's such a funny guy. He was he would, I made a star out of you. I made a star out of you. Of course, you know, because it always gets back to Carmen, which is great. It's the way it's the way it should be. He's the, he's he's the best, and uh, you know i I don't miss I don't miss throwing bowling balls, but boy, do I miss I miss my friends, and uh, that's another one of the reasons why I'm so happy to be doing this. Um, being the manager of the, of the uh, Milwaukee team and and being able to see my friends. You know, some, some of the older guys on tour that I bowled with, some of the younger guys on tour that I've gotten to know during my time as a, as a, as a broadcaster and uh, during my time, you know, doing uh, webcasting for the, for the tour.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that you're uh, one of the most underrated color analysts in the history of bowling because of Burton and Randy who have been in the booth for so long and yeah uh, and they've and have both done
2: a great job. I I really I probably would have been doing color a lot longer but when when the PBA was going through to ownership in the early 2000s they wanted to shake things up. And so they they decided that they were going to do a a um, an audition where everyone did like one show and then they would pick who they wanted. they had already decided they want to get rid of me because I was yesterday's news. And that's fine. Color commentary is a, for the most part, a short lived position until the next thing comes along. So, but uh, I was, I wasn't real happy about that, but it turned out to be a great thing. I came home and I met this great gal and we ended up uh, getting married. We started a business together. We had a very successful business. unfortunately, the marriage went sideways I'm no longer involved no longer married I'm no longer involved in that business it was a tax business and no longer involved in that but uh they were they were great years and uh you know as Garth Brooks said I could have missed the pain but I would have missed the dance so
0: uh-huh. I, love it. It all, I love it it all
2: it all worked. it all worked it it worked well even even with that marriage dissolving those were uh, those were some great years it was fun starting a business. From nothing and turning it into a very successful business. So that was that was cool.
0: Well, you've done it all, man. We're running out of time. We gotta go. Marshall, it was an absolute pleasure having you on our show today. Good luck in the PBA league draft. And maybe after the draft, we'll have a post-draft show. We'll invite you back. <laughs> go inside your head and see exactly what you what you did and what you're thinking. Okay, Mike.
2: Thanks a lot. Matthew, thank you. Nice being on and uh Mike, I might be calling you and picking your brain for more ideas on this draft. I love (laughs) it. it.
0: Thank you so much, man. And uh, we'll definitely plug your wine for sure. And uh, we'll see you down the road. I appreciate it.
2: Private message me. I'm your man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, Matt. Well, awesome uh, talking to Marshall. Didn't get to everything we wanted to get to today. But uh, your your thoughts on Marshall?
1: Uh, Just a living. He's just a legend, man. He's done everything. He's he's had the world betting against him. He's had, he's had people, you know, that love him and have rooted him on on and helped him throughout his career. And it's just really cool to see how everything's come full circle for him and how he just continues to impact the bowling industry.
0: Yep. That's for sure. So we're out of time, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget to check out our Twitter account at inside bowling vote on the poll question. We'll have it back for you tomorrow. We'll have another poll question for you. Thanks to bowler X for stepping up and wanting to be part of the show. Matt, this was a quick one. I got a call I got to get to, buddy. All righty, man. We'll see everybody tomorrow inside Bowling Show. Have a good one, everybody.